This is Talking Urology. I'm talking urology with John Davis. He's the Associate Professor of Urology at the MD Anderson Cancer Centre in Texas in the States. He's very kindly agreed to join us to give us the highlights of his talk, which was the BJUI lecture on prostate cancer genetics. John, what were the highlights? Well, years, for many years we've talked about getting more uh, genetic testing into prostate cancer to try to risk stratify patients. And there's two basic decision points where that might be helpful. One, of course, is patient who might be a candidate for active surveillance versus intervention. And even the folks who go through surgery, you might then want to risk stratify who should be observed versus do post-operative radiation. I learned along this journey, you know, some terminology that's helpful. Uh, there are commercially available biomarkers in the U.S., some in Europe, and they're mostly what we call prognostic markers, meaning they can help risk refine the odds of an event happening. Now, my colleagues in medical oncology look at this differently, and they, they mainly emphasize predictive markers, where at biomarkers, efficacy is linked to the drug working or not working. But in prostate cancer, we can still get some information out of prognostic markers. Um, one, for example, is Prolaris that looks at cell cycle project progression genes. If they're extremely aggressive looking or extremely non-aggressive looking, that may help break the tie between surveillance, radiation, And this for is example. on biopsy specimens, isn't it? It is on biopsy, and for the most part, they'll work on very small amounts of tumor. You can have, I mean, if you literally have less than a millimeter of Gleason 6, you probably can't run the test. But a little bit more than that, you should be okay. And, you know, the, 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 the companies design trials differently with different endpoints. So another one called Oncotype looks at the risk of having unfavorable prostatectomy, you know, high-grade T3 stage. Um, so I sometimes use that in young patients where, you know, any degree of unfavorable pathology, you know, in a 50-year-old would be not a good candidate for surveillance, for example. In the post-op setting, what is interesting is there's a third marker called Decipher that really hones in on the risk of metastatic progression. And they've also been able to retrospectively link that to post-operative radiation. So in simple terms, if they've got a favorable decipher profile, you probably put them on observation, even if they have a positive margin or T3 stage. But if they have an aggressive decipher, that's about 20% of the high-risk population, then they clearly have a better durable response to radiation if it was given adjuvant. And for us, that's a valuable question because as a default, most of our patients don't want adjuvant radiation unless you can give them a really strong argument that they need it. So this can help us with that. These tests sound really useful, but we, we, they don't seem to have really taken off. Why is that? I, I think you have to, it, the, the competing space concept is using MRI and biopsies, for example, in the active surveillance uh, area. I don't know why the decipher wouldn't take off because... You know, it's a four thousand in the U.S. It's about a four thousand dollar test, but you're asking it to tell you whether or not you need, in our terms, fifty thousand dollars worth of post-op radiation. Now, in the biopsy world, it, it's understandable because if you've got high-quality MRI and fusion-related biopsies, you may prefer to use that to differentiate who needs surveillance versus treatment. You know, in the U.S., high-quality MRI is not universally available. It's really at high-volume centers. Whereas if they run a genetic profile, it's the same profile regardless of where it comes from because these go to referee labs. 
So, you know, each, each practitioner would have to see what resources and talents are available to them and, you know, sample and, and figure out which one helps them make these difficult decisions. Again, clinical utility is a bit of an eye of the beholder. If you have a patient who, whose mind is made up, maybe you don't need any more information. But I'm sure we all experience patients who are indecisive and they want as much information as they can get their hands on. I certainly know a few of those. Thank you very much, John. Right, very kind. It's been great to have you here in Australia. Thank great, you. Great meeting. Thanks.